0: But it's a program. There was a time when kids did not go to school. But it's a pretty entrenched program now. In fact, now we're, we're so programmatic about school that there's a time before school, it's preschool, that we've actually cre- created a program for preschool as they await their program. Uh, there's a program for soccer. There's a program for baseball, there's a program for drums, there's a program for basketball, there's a program for artistic kids, there's a program for unartistic kids, there's a program for everything you can think of. I thought uh, in preparing for this sermon, what if, especially those of you who are in the, the, the children phase of life, what if you went through the closets of your kids and just tried to set aside every single $5 shirt or jersey that's connected to a program? you know, Kirkwood Soccer, Piedmont Baseball, whatever it is, you, you would have a pile. We would. We'd have a pile of these shirts, Ashland Nature Center, on and on and on it goes because we, we have these programs. The challenge with this is, is that real life is not programmatic at all. I mean, real life is happening. It's happening all the time, whether in or out of a program. It's happening. In fact, Have you ever stopped to think that your children may have learned more about your belief in God based upon how you left the house this morning than what they'll learn here? Because real life is not programmatic. Children are always learning. They're always watching. They're always collecting data. Someone once told me they have the best receptors and the worst processors. They're always scooping in information and processing. And the programs, they just, they can be good things. And we believe many of them are good things. But they can also be distractions from our responsibilities as parents. And so what I wanted to do this morning is to take some time just looking at the Word and, and talking about ways that we can engage with our children. And I, if you're not a parent of children, um, you're, you're in a church with tons of them, so you'll see one of them every now and then. It's still applicable, uh, whether you're a teacher or a parent or, or um, for whatever children you have in and around your life, I think, I think it's, it's worth thinking through some of these things this morning. Because this is ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to raise our kids well in the Lord. That's what we're trying to do. Things either help or distract us from that. There's in the book of Deuteronomy um, a pretty. Uh, the, the book of Deuteronomy is a momentous book, and the, f- the first five Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the capstone of those five books, um, of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is is uh, the chief among them. I might you might say that it represents. All of the law of all of those. It's kind of an encapsulation or summary of all that was said within those earlier books there. And um, in, the cha- in Deuteronomy, the fifth and sixth chapter are momentous within the book itself. The fifth chapter is the Ten Commandments. The sixth chapter um, possesses what is possibly the most repeated phrase among the Hebrew people. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength. Well, just beyond that, it's in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, just beyond that, just down down the way in the chapter, you get to this place where kind of the bottom line is summarized. And it's summarized this way. It says, in the future, when your son asks you, why all these, what's the reason for all these stipulations and rules and commands and ordinances that the Lord your God has given you? The Lord says, then you tell them. That's, that's what it says. It says at the end of chapter 6, in the future when your kids come to you and they say, why all of this? Why are we doing this? Why does it look this way? What's going on? That's when, that's when the Lord just twists right there and he says, Tell them. You tell them this. You say, There was a time when we were enslaved. And God rescued us. There was a time when we were helpless. And because of our faith in God, His blood covered the doors. And the angel of death passed over. And God brought us through the sea. And He brought us to a new land. And God rode with us. In the day he led us as a cloud. And the night he led us as a pillar of fire. And he came off his mighty and holy mountain. And he came down the mountain. And he dwelled among us in his tabernacle. And he was with us. And he spoke to us. And he gave us these words. Because he wanted us to have a good life. And to instruct us and to tell us. And he told us he was bringing us into a new land. And that he was going to give this land to us. And that he was going to make us a holy people. And a sacred people. So that the whole world might see and understand God from what He's done in our lives. That's what the Lord says. He says, when they ask why, tell them. Getting them to ask why is the hard part, isn't it, sometimes? But that's the goal as a, as a parent or as a, a leader with children is to bring them to a place where they ask an honest, listening why? When we spark their curiosity, we, the, to create a, a child who's curious and inquisitive and whose creative mind is actually kind of leaning up against the door of God, going, "Why? who is God and why is this? How do things work? And for us to be there with the ready, humble answer upon who God is. Now, this gets, I think, harder the older they get. Um, I'm in the middle somewhere. I'm like in stage two of kiddom. But I, So I don't, I don't know fully, like I'm not in the whatever phase yet, where my kids are whatevering me, but I'm, I'm just before that, but I got a lot of them, so it's got to count for something, like quantity has a quality all of its own, um, but the challenge, the challenge is kids get older, when they're young, we can just kind of deliver things to them, they, they, we don't have to wait for them to ask why, when kids are young, we just feed them information, here, this is, this is truth. We just drop information down on them because they're not really asking why or they're always asking why and they're not really curious as to why. They just, or their attention span, right? But that's at that level where we're kind of feeding young, young ones the truth. We just give them the truth. We're the parent, they're the child. We know they don't. Here's the truth. What ends up happening, though, as they move from child to youth is... Now parents begin to have to wait for an invitation to have a meaningful conversation. We can't just give and tell and just say, here's how it is, because the information bounces off either a hard heart or a hard head, or we don't deliver it well. But the older they get, the more they become themselves. And now we're kind of forced at some point to wait for them to ask why. We need that invitation in with the good news. And so what we're going to do this morning is focus on this idea of, of what about the Christian life as, a, as, as parents and as, as people who are with kids can kind of conjure or bring or cultivate the why. And so we're going to look at, we're going to look at four things. There's certainly more, but uh, four is going to be enough. And we're going to start easy. And we're going to end hard. Um, and I think we're going to start like something that's applicable certainly to young children and, and work towards something that is um, maybe most applicable or makes the biggest difference with older children. I think that's the progression. Um, so, in that, with that said, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12? It's page 47. If you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, if you don't have a Bible, you can consider that a gift. Just don't give it to somebody else and like get credit for a gift. Keep it and read it. No, it's not a re gift. Now, in, in Exodus 12, um, this is right before the Lord passes over the land of Egypt and strikes down the firstborn child of all the Egyptians and and in the process, liberates his people for himself. This is right before that. And as the Lord is sharing with Moses how the Passover is going to go down, he shares it in a very unique way. He shares the instructions for the evening right alongside describing from Moses that it is at the same time a lasting ordinance that's going to be celebrated forever. It would be as if, When Jesus was born in the manger, some angel came down and said, on the 25th of December, every year, put a Christmas tree up. None of that happened. But imagine Moses is not only receiving a word from God about the event that's going to happen that day, but he's also receiving kind of the, the, the weight of that event. God is saying that this event is going to be definitional to your people. It's going to start your year. Day one of your year is Passover, essentially or at least begins the feast that leads towards that, that it's going to start your story. This is the the defining centerpiece of the entire Hebrew story. So pay attention to what I'm telling you to do this week because it's going to last from generation to generation. That's kind of what's going on here. And in the 12th chapter, we pick up in 24. It's all been described to the people. And this is what is said. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The, f- the first way um, I think we can cultivate a why among our children is through the observance and the celebration of these holy days in our faith. These high holy days, these Passover days. In the Christian church, that Passover is Easter. Easter is Christian Passover. In fact, it, the last supper was the Passover meal. God took the defining feast of, of his people And he infused it and fulfilled it and made it larger and complete through the work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. The blood of Christ was poured over us to guard us from the judgment of God. And that in that, in the Easter, we celebrate the deepest meaning of Passover on this day. This is a day that is to be a lasting ordinance, you might think, for the people. That we're never to forget about these holy moments. And that we are to describe them as best we can on a regular basis among the people of God, so that we might remember. And so that when our children ask, we can point and say, that's the story. Now, I use this as a starting point because some here, some of you may be humble um, in the, fe- the thought that you're not very eloquent in telling the story of Jesus. Like maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't really know all the answers, and I don't really know how to describe the, the gospel and I, I don't I don't really have a lot of that and I'm new to the faith or I'm just kind of shy and I don't know what I'd say if my kids ask. And I'm I'm here to say that the first thing that God gave the people was something that they can that you as a mother or father could say to your children, look, I all you need is a humble heart. That's the only ingredient. You can say, look, I don't know how to say it exactly right, but that's it. That's it. God's given us these moments, these opportunities in the church to build the picture of the gospel and of the work of Jesus Christ so that everybody, families can come and they can say, that's it. That, that's about right. What, what he said, how that was performed. We've been given these things, these things that are, have color and motion and, and just a holy ceremony about them. They've been given to us because they, they attract the mind and the imagination and they allow regular christians to point and say that's it communion is a perfect example of this the lord's supper which is next next week next sunday does this very thing it is a it is a, a word it's a picture for children of salvation that cultivates a why question this is one of the very reasons we say that the lord's supper is not for children who have not accepted jesus christ We say, when the plate passes by, let it pass in front of your children. Because because this is one of your strategic opportunities to cultivate a why with your children. Mom, why do you get to have the bread and I don't get to have the bread? This is your chance to say, because Jesus Christ is my Savior. Because His body was given for me. Because I've received it. And because through faith, the blood of Jesus Christ has been poured over me so that God doesn't see all my sinfulness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. These things are given to us. Baptism is the same way. Children are drawn to baptism. They're attracted by the picture, and they walk away. You've, many of you have driven home after a baptism Sunday with children who want to talk about that, or who are not very far away from talking about it, if you would simply say, what did you think? They'd be full because it's, it's an exciting image. God gave us these thoughtful ideas, these thoughtful visible things the things of the church to kind of bring forth the questions and for us even if you're humble and you don't have all these fancy words you can point to and go i believe that is true in my life one of the things you want to guard against with holy days whether it's easter or thanksgiving <coughs> Christmas, is guard against them becoming secularized. That any time that in the faith there's been a moment, a momentous moment in the church where we're celebrating something, always sitting in the corner, in the dark corner, is a secular alternative that very often is absolutely ridiculous. Like a rabbit that lays eggs. I feel mocked with that but it's there. Also, guard against allowing this holy day to become an excuse for a second good thing, a second-order good thing. We do this because right now, the only time we ever get off from work are holy days, Christmas and Easter break. We call it spring break now, but those are the times the only people get off from work, so there's a temptation on these kinds of times to cram everything else in your family's life that's of any meaning and substance into the same period of time. And so your house is full of people, or you're on vacation, or you're somewhere. And those are all good things. And and I'm not criticizing any of those things. They're good and they should happen. Are they happening at the expense of a most holy moment with your children? Just protect those times. Give them humble reverence. Sunday, by the way, is in principle the very same thing. Sunday is a smaller example of Easter. It's an opportunity that if you're, if you're not especially adept in speaking about the faith of your kids, this habit and discipline of coming on Sunday helps them see and hear the gospel. So if you're here, you've like got the first one done. You're already at like a 25%. Good job. Let's look at the second one. Exodus 15. Just turn the page. Now this one is similar, though I think it warrants its own, own, uh, mentioning it in its own right. Chapter 15, verse 1. This is what is said. Now they've just come across the Red Sea. The water's closed back over there on the east shore. The Egyptian army was consumed by the sea. And this is essentially what's written. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They sang a song. I think the second way to cultivate a why in children is songs. Now, some of you may be thinking that's cheesy. And so I'm actually gonna go I'm gonna go in the opposite direction, maybe to a more extreme place. I'm gonna use some extreme language. To try to describe actually what I think music is. Music is spell casting. Music is mysterious. I think music is inexplicable in the kind of depth that it can reach. Music is, uh, it's magic. Music is magic. That's what it is. Music has the ability to get into a human being past all their firewalls and their prejudices and all of their decisions and their consciousness. Music can come in and it can reside in the soul and it can take root and it can give birth and it can create a subconscious liturgy of belief that is at work in us, building itself like scaffolding inside of us that you don't even know until you turn around in a dark moment and it's there and there's truth in you because the Word of God has been carried on notes all the way into your soul. This is, I, I, this is absolutely why in the myths, in the myths you have the sirens on the island that are singing, and the men have to put wax on their ears so they don't hear. That's a mythological truth. Some things have to be told in a lie to be shown as a truth. That music has this ability to come into us and reach in and change us. Some of you are, 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 know so little scripture, you think, I don't know any of the scripture, but you do know this, you, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. That's Psalms. You know that? He became sin. Who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness? That is the word of God. And it's in you. It didn't even ask permission. It just barged in. Music has that ability to come in in uninvited places and take root. Music also has this ability to commemorate things that that need to be commemorated, to give things importance. Every birthday, what do we do? Happy birthday to you. Right? When the Eagles score, fly, Eagles, fly on the road to victory. We just, if you're a legitimate Eagles fan, you do that. Right? That's just what you do. That's just what you do. You know, when, when there's going to be a big game, we sing the national anthem. When there's a funeral, they play taps. At a wedding, there's music. Music is commemorative. Music, because it is spell binding and magic casting, we bring it to things to give them meaning. And thirdly, even if you don't believe me, the rest of the world agrees with me, and they're using music to do exactly what I'm saying for their own purposes. Everybody in the world puts what they think is important to music. J E L L O What are you thinking about? Uh-huh. It's power. Have you ever seen a kids toy commercial without music? Everybody's got music. A cartoon starts there's music. Batman, everybody. And those are those are fairly benign instances of what of a of a spell that is used in dark ways as well as light ways. So if you think that your children are not learning music, they're learning music. It's being sirened by someone. To school teacher. And by the way, this is why the music in this church is adapted to those who are in the why question chapter of life. It'll always be that way, I think. We play music to the audience asking why. Let's look at another one. So, by the way, you sang music today and you're here, so you have a 50%. Good job. This gets hard, though. Turn to uh, Exodus 16, number 30. Now, the Lord took the Egyptians across the Red Sea, or the Israelites, excuse me, He took the Israelites across the Red Sea, they sang a big song about how powerful the Lord is and how great and strong He is and He's the best and He's the greatest. And then they turned right around and complained because they got hungry. And they said, now we're really hungry and we wish we had stayed in Egypt where we could eat filet mignon, but now we're in the desert and we're going to die and starve. And God did this to us and Moses did this and we hate them. And because of that, the Lord brought them this thing called manna from heaven. And manna was this uh, kind of food that they could eat. And He fed all of the Israelite people in the desert with manna. Absolutely miraculous. And he fed them for 40 years this way. And we're kind of looking at their response to it the first time it ever happened in the 16th chapter of Exodus. And I think verse 33 is on the screen behind me, but I'll read from 31 through 33. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. The manna there bears as testimony to what God has done it testifies before the generations that would come after who were no longer eating manna, who did not experience this hardship, who may not even have any recognition or recollection in their immediate circumstances of the hardship that had come before, the manna stands to remind the generations to come of what God has done. And I think the third way, if you want to evoke or cultivate a question of why out of your children, is to have areas in your life, in the life of your family, not just here, not just here. Think of your home as a church. In the life of the people of God within your home, do you have things, objects, stories, family traditions that allow you to testify to what the Lord has done in your life? Do you have these things? Do you have something sitting on the mantel? That's, when they say, what is that? You say, well, that, whew, that is the biggest story that has ever happened in my life. Do you have a time in your life where you were of great need, where you needed and God showed up? And have you kept all of this from your kids? Do you have a time in your life where God came and changed you and kind of resurrected your life out of something and made you into something new? And do your children know absolutely nothing about it? Do you have times where you're experiencing hardship right now? Are you in a season where you're, you're experiencing hardship and when the kids go down, you have a heavy heart and you pray and sometimes you weep, but they don't know about it because you don't want them to know. See, this is the challenge with raising children. We, on the one hand, be the, we want to play God in a good way. We want to be the provider and the comforter and the protector. We want them to know kind of the attributes of God, that God's going to take care of them and never forsake them. So we give this all to the Lord. We we, we behave in this role for our children. But we have another role. And that other role is to show our children that we are not God. Which means that we have a holy obligation to, when is appropriate, to show where we can't and where He has. To show our need and His provision. But as parents, that is a delicate balance because you want to protect your kids in one way from some of the hardships you're enduring, but in another way, you can be such good parents that your children will have no functional or practical need of God whatsoever. You can provide for them in such a godly way that they'll be godless. You can protect them in such a godly way that they will be totally unprepared for the real world. We have a holy obligation to insensitive, spiritual, discerning ways to invite our children into the moments when God has told his powerful story in our lives. Great opportunities that are sitting there. And I say, this may not be, that's what I said, I think this gets older. This may not be something for your six-year-old. to you go, well... I was singing the old country western song. I was drunk and ran out. It's not for a six-year-old, right? But what about a 12-year-old? What about a 10-year-old? What about a 13-year-old? When are you going to begin to kind of read your, your redeemed hardship into their lives? What you don't want to do is say to your 24-year-old daughter, you know, I wish I had waited till I got married because I, my life was a wreck because of some of the decisions I made. You don't want to wait till she's 25 where she says, well, I wish I would waited too you want to enter in at 14 and say I want to tell you what God's done with a wreck in my life I don't know how you do that because I don't know your story I'm just saying God has given us manna so the generations to come who did not eat it can know who he is that's a harder it's harder, one more Deuteronomy chapter six, which is page one twenty-eight. Now this one is um, comes right after some of the scripture I mentioned to you uh, at the beginning. Uh, the fourth verse is this this very, very high and holy uh, passage of Scripture. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Then watch what he does in the sixth verse. So, the Lord just said, the command of the Lord, this is, we might say this is, now it doesn't feel this way to us because we have all of the Bible, but this is, in one way the pinnacle of hebrew scripture is this jesus says what's the greatest commandment and what do they they reply with deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 immediately following this he says these commands that i give you are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children it's amazing to me it is amazing to me that the single, like the highest of all the Hebrew scriptures in a verse and a half are connected to how you raise children. I mean, you don't even have the time to keep talking. But that is deep. I just think, I mean, to imagine how close raising the generations beneath you is tied to faithfulness with the Lord. But this is what he says in 69. These commands that I give you to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames and on your houses and on your gates. There is the fourth way, if you want to evoke or cultivate a question a why from your children, it's to be consistently following after God. And these these things that were given, they're kind of bookends to an idea. Talk about them when you're at home and when, and when you're not at home. Talk about them everywhere is what the scripture is saying. Talk about them when you lie down and... When you get up, he's saying, talk about them all the time. Describe them on your forehead and on your wrists so that other people see your faith, so that it's a public witness to others. But he also says, inscribe them on your doorframe. Now, that's public too, but i got to tell you, that has a private meaning for me because I need to be reminded most of my faith when I'm walking into my house, not when I'm walking out of it. I can perform for you. This is just a program. It's a one-hour program. My family knows who I really am. I need to see it on the way in. They're bookends. It's the alpha and the omega idea all the time. But even in the, they're varied and they're different at the same time. Have you ever noticed there's, there's different spaces? When you're sitting at the dinner table, there's a way you talk and there's a way your kids question you. It's more formal. It's more hierarchical. It just fits the family model. And it's different than when you're driving to baseball practice. When you're on the way, I have had the best conversations with my children with, hey, Dad, I heard a word at school today. That, doesn't, that, that comes when you're on the way. The casual access that you give your kids when they're just sitting in the back of the car. And it's different than the opportunity you have at a dinner table to kind of make that a solemn moment with the family and to paint a picture. Likewise, it's different when you're laying your children down at night. There's an intimate time of peace where you can pray over your children. And no matter what, you, you may have almost killed those kids an hour earlier, right? I mean, you may have thought the worst things ever. When you lay them down and you pray with them, it's a moment to say, my love is unconditional, because his love is unconditional. And we had a rough day, but I love you. And you go to bed knowing I love you. And it's different than in the morning when they rise up, when you can pray over them, Lord, this child is going to go to school, bless him. Give him courage to do the right thing when the wrong things are around him. Allow him to be generous and kind to those around him. Allow him to pursue your best, even though he may see your worst. There's kind of an initiation or a charge that's happening. These are very times, and we need to see them as all the time and everywhere and as unique opportunities to show our consistent vigor in the faith. If you love God, allow your children, because they will see your consistency And they will absolutely see your inconsistency. And the older they get, your opportunity to answer a why question is going to come from this. It's going to come from consistency. Because you don't want this question. This is the question you don't want. Dad, how come you do this here, but you do that there? Why questions you spawn, the one you don't want them to be, those kinds of why questions. I want to encourage you, by the way, this last one seems particularly hard, but at no matter what level of the faith you are, you don't even have to be Christian. Right? Wherever you are in life, this can be done by being consistent and where you are, pursuing consistency at whatever. I'm not saying you have to do everything right all the time. I'm saying whatever's right, whatever you're working on now, pursue consistency there, and your children will recognize it. They'll recognize your change towards godliness. And that will evoke a why. It doesn't mean you have to have arrived somewhere. It just means that you have to be to work on being consistent in the Lord. The goal. The goal is not that when your children ask why, you say, Well, I don't know. The goal is to have an answer which means some of us have to work. You have to work to know the Word of God. And the goal is not to have questions about our inconsistency, but our consistency. The goal is to have a gospel-reflecting lifestyle. The goal is to have an intrinsic faith of which the byproduct is witness, not a false witness with no faith. And with your families, I think the goal is, is to enjoy God with your family. Because... This is not something you can outsource. This why question is not something that vacation Bible school or Sunday school can handle. This is something that parents will be answering along the way and at their home.